Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. So good to be back with you, and I want to thank Dave and Lori for preaching while I was away. I really enjoyed Dave's personal psalm of jealousy about me. That was really beautiful. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to the podcast. I want to welcome all of you watching and listening online this morning. Welcome to week seven in our summer series out of the book of Psalms called Let the Light In. Now, so far, if you've been journeying with us, we've been realizing that the Psalms were actually written by multiple authors over a thousand years. They are all the experiences of God's people given to us. And we've been using the analogy of a golf club bag uh, that has golf clubs and you bring out different golf clubs for different issues. So the same with the Psalms. The Psalms have different styles or genres that God has given us to use in particular situations or seasons in our life. So, so far after the introduction, we've looked at the wisdom Psalms, the creation Psalms, and the Psalms of Ascent. We've walked through the act of lamenting or confessing. We've done praise and worship psalms and we've done psalms of confidence. But today now we come to one genre. We come to one style, one type of psalm that when you read them, we either wish they weren't in the Bible at all or we have no clue what to do with them or if we read them, we just choose to ignore them. They're what scholars call imprecatory psalms, what I've labeled the psalms of rage. When I was driving down east with my family, whale watching and eating lobster, as Dave lamented over, uh, it's interesting, we were in the West Isles, and if you've ever been down in that area in South New Brunswick, it's very similar to the Muskokas. There's unbelievable trees and rocks. But multiple times, as I was looking at God's unbelievable handiwork, the great Canadian sort of shield experience... There would be always one or two places where some, I suppose, graduating drunk teenager wrote class of 2003, right? Like right across these stunning rocks. And it really bothered me because here's this unbelievable thing that took millennia to make and you decided because you're graduating, I need to know about it. But actually, when we read Psalms like this, it's what we feel, This feels like graffiti in the middle of Scripture. This magnificent, stunning, beautiful, awe-inspiring, holy, loving story. And then sort of in the middle, it's like someone's taking graffiti and written over some of the most beautiful parts. And we just don't know what to do with it because you can't just go and erase it. So what do we do? Well, no matter what you feel about these psalms, maybe you've never even read one, we are choosing to walk through them. Why? Because they are Scripture, and all Scripture is useful, right? Now remember, these are cries for vengeance. Here people ask God to do one thing, curse their personal enemies. Here, I want you to hear this, godly people ask God to do the unthinkable. They are raging. These are the places where we cry out our deepest and our darkest wants and needs stemming from experienced injustice, abuse, trauma, and pain. Now, there are at least 18 psalms that have moments of rage or are all out rage. Let me just read a small selection of them to you this morning and see how you feel. 
Psalm 10.15, break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evil to or evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. Break his arm and expose him publicly so he gets his due. Psalm 17.14, by your hand save me from such people, God, from those of this world whose reward is in this life. May, you, may what you have stored up for the wicked fill their belly. May their children gorge themselves on it. And may there be leftovers for their little kids. Psalm 55, 15, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go alive down to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. Jesus, I'm asking you to damn them, and when they're going to hell, let them know it's happening. Psalm 58, 6, break the teeth in their mouth. Punch them in the mouth, O God. Tear out the fangs of those lions. Psalm 110.6, he will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over the broad country. Psalm 109.6, appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tired, let him be found guilty. May his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless. May his wife be a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. Amen. What? (laughs) What? Psalm 139, 20, if if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Do I, ready, not hate those you hate, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. What do you do with this? Now, each one of these, notice, is a call for divine judgment. Each one of these is a cry and a call for calamity or curse against a person's enemy or the enemies of God. But what are we called to do as Christians? Because I just read you this, but we just spent the whole year praying for the kingdom of God to come. And rooted in the kingdom of God, we spent our whole year learning and being under the authority of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me read you this. Jesus comes along and says, Matthew 5, 43, and I want to remind you, the same God that inspired the Psalms is Jesus, right? Yes or no? This is a test. Good, good. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Aren't even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, uh, what are you doing more than anyone else? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So here's the question. Are you allowed to read these psalms? Are you allowed as a Christian to pray these psalms? Should you ignore these psalms? What do you do with them? Well, many have tried to deal with them in all sorts of very interesting ways. Many, many people, because they're very uncomfortable with them, write this. They say, well, David and the others who wrote them actually are only uttering their own sinful hearts and conditions. It's not the will of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Judas betrayed Jesus in the Bible. Just because he did it in the Bible doesn't mean you should betray Jesus, right? Does that make sense? So in other words, this is the recollection of sin, not the call for action. C.S. Lewis, our great friend who many of us will hang out and talk about Narnia with forever, he actually believed this so strongly that in his book on the Psalms, he penned these words, very strong. The hatred there is real. 
festering, gloating, and undisguised. And also, he writes, we should be wicked if we in any way condone or approve it, or worse, still use it to justify similar passions in ourselves. In other words, run. Now, others say, well, no, don't run. See, these people who were writing the Psalms, especially David, were not just poet and songwriter and worship leader. They were prophets. David is called a prophet. And so what these Psalms are about are actually a discussion or a declaration of what will happen at the end of the time. This is prophetic. This is saying in the end, all those who do not know the living God come under judgment. Well, those sound pretty good. Especially if you read the New Testament, that second view, because some of people, authors in the New Testament, referring to the end of time, actually quote some of these Psalms. But I'm not comfortable with either of these. They seem too easy to get out of things. So let me just say this very clearly today. If all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness, including these parts of scriptures, should we pray these prayers in certain situations? Absolutely. This is an unbelievable gift to the people of God. Now, I'm going to choose one example today. I want us not to shy away from it. I want us to come boldly and listen. I want us to walk right into the rage moment in Psalm 69. So if you've got a Bible this morning, virtual, physical, turn, navigate there to Psalm 69. Now, Psalm 69 is interesting because it's actually a psalm made up of three styles. It is a praise psalm, a lament psalm, and a rage psalm all bound into one. Now, as I preach this through, as the rage comes out, it is going to shock you and push you and may even scare you and make you uncomfortable. But keep going. Psalm 69, verse 1, reads like this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods are engulfing me. He begins his prayer like this. God... I'm drowning down here. Do you see this? I'm not just in trouble. I'm not exaggerating. I'm in real trouble. Actually, I am done. I'm just going down. This is so bad. My life, my very life is being threatened. I'm in deep waters. I'm being drowned and engulfed. I'm in a flood. I cannot get out. Step in God or I die. Verse 3, I'm worn out, God, for calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Ever had that experience? Where are you, God? I keep praying and zip nothing. I keep fasting, nothing. I keep looking, nothing. God, I'm one of your followers. Like, give me something, a sign, a word, a verse, a rainbow, anything, please. God, you say your love. God, you say you're all-knowing and all-seeing and you're everywhere. Well, then do something. I mean, things are so bad. Let me, no, no. Let me stop and tell you, God. Let me remind you, O Holy One, why I am in such trouble. Those, verse 4, who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. He basically is saying this, in this situation, God, I'm innocent and you know it. 
These people are accusing me of stealing something that I didn't steal. And I'm so frustrated. Not only am I being falsely accused, I'm being forced to do something. I actually have to pay back something I didn't do in the first place. I did not do the crime, and I'm being forced to do the time. In other words, I as a human am wounded, trapped, frustrated, in pain. I'm under attack. I'm the focus of a vendetta. It is groundless, false, faultless, and my enemies hate me. And they are heartless. So you say you care, God? You say that you're a holy God? You say you're a God not only of love, but of holiness. And you say that you're a God of miracles. And you say that you're sovereign. Well, why are you letting me go through this? And oh, by the way, greater question to you, oh great Lord. Why are you letting them get away with this? Now, right in the middle of this, as he is crying out his condition, he stops. And I'm so glad this is in here. Because the shift focuses just for a moment. In verse 5, he says, now, God, you know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you, Lord, the Lord Almighty. In other words, God of angel armies, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. O God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. He says, now, oh, I just want to stop and say this in front of your holy presence. I'm not innocent. God, we've talked about my sin We've talked about my brokenness. I've talked to you about my wickedness. I have confessed. I have repented. I have not hidden anything from you. There is no no between you and I. There is only yes. There is no room in my life you have not been invited into. My deepest weakness and failures are already before you, not just because you're omnipresent and know all things. I have told you. I've brought them to you. And I know as one of your followers, grace, and I know mercy, and I know forgiveness. It's all real. But what I'm going through in this moment is not connected, ready, to my sin. It's not connected to my rebellion. No, no, this is different. This is much different. Verse 7, I've actually endured scorn for your sake. My shame covers my face. I'm a foreigner to my own family. I'm a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insult of those who insult you follow me. See, not only is this author, and we don't know the situation, falsely accused for breaking God's law, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, and the law of the land for stealing he and, and, and being forced to pay something back. He also is a person who's being persecuted and attacked just because he loves God and is trying to be faithful. He is truly being persecuted and insulted. But did you catch who's doing it? His own family. So not only are all these people outside against him, it's my own family, the jabs, the looks, friends, and family. They're against me too. Now if you keep reading the psalm later today, he continues to outline and cry out and confess and wrestle with God in very pungent language. And then verse 22 is where he takes the can opener and opens a whole thing of rage. And so this is what he prays. And I want to remind you, he prays this even about his own family. May the table set before them become a snare. That's what you pray at Thanksgiving, right, everyone? When there's trouble in the family, right? May it become retribution and a trap. Make them choke on their food, God. May you trap them. May you pay them back. God, here's what I'm doing. I'm asking you to avenge me. I'm asking for holy revenge and payback. Make it the day of reckoning. And I want justice and I want holy reprisal. And I don't want it in the future. I want it right now in front of my own eyes. 
Verse 23, may their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent over forever. God, blind them, make them sick and broken. Give them physical harm. Give them burdens that never go away. Give them medical conditions that will affect them for a lifetime. I want you to break their health and I want you to break their quality of life. Verse 24, pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted and let no one dwell in their tents. I am asking you, God, here is, there's no gray, crystal clear. Hunt them down and pour out your wrath. I know you're everywhere and they cannot escape. So break their bank account, break their families, decimate them, kill off their ability to have descendants and end their family line. Anyone getting uncomfortable yet? This is prayed by a very righteous, holy person. Verse 26, for they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime and do not, oh my goodness, let them share in your salvation. Don't let them know you, God. Give them no purpose in this life. Don't let them have eternal life. Don't just unlike them on Facebook. I want you to divorce them. I want you to say to them, actually, you're not my child anymore. Write them out of the will. Kick them out of the house. Say to them, I wish you had never been made. No, God, I'm not done. Go farther. Do something more. Give them evil for evil. Let them reap what they have sowed. And then he says it in verse 28. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. And basically, this is the modern translation. Damn unto hell because they deserve it. Well, okay. Maybe. And then it says, verse 28, as for me, Afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. And then he turns into praise, what Dave was preaching on two weeks ago. And I will praise you, God, in, the name, in God's name and song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Now again, this is not just the sinful recollection of someone. This is not just unholiness. So the question is, in these 18 moments in the psalm, What do you do? Well, number one, let me say this. This is not a license to carry a spiritual gun. This is not what you pray in your devotions every single day. This is a nuclear option, but it's real. Now, there's a few things to note that really matter as we get through how to use this. If you read every single one of these psalms, not once in the context is there ever a request or an action where the person takes vengeance into their own hands. Not once do you see a person say, and I now am the instrument of my request, and I now get to go do this to the person. Never once is a person who follows God allowed to take vengeance into their hands, period. They are always asking God to avenge them. Each prayer was always that God would rise up because of injustice and deal with the situation. Second, what we see in these is a passion for justice. But it's never about personal vindictiveness or bitter malice. See, these psalms are very important for us. Because they actually remind us and help us realize that calls for justice are absolutely right. And remind us how important God's holiness and justice are and sin is sin. See, let's ask this question. What about Hitler? What about ISIS? Have you been following this? In the last two weeks, it came across all the major organizations that now they've actually systematized rape and said it's the will of God with young girls. What about that? 
What about the leadership of North Korea? What about being slandered? What about you being falsely accused? What about abuse? What about being ripped off? What about rape? What about some of us who are involved in prolonged unemployment and it was not actually done out of justice? Where does a Christian cry out over moral outrage? Where do we go to heaven and say, this is so sick and wrong and evil, I must say something about it. It's right here. Now let me give everyone this morning, this is the time you take notes, so you use these right. So all devices out, please. There are three things we need to remember about these songs as we use them in moments of extreme rage. This is how you are angry and you do not sin like the Bible teaches. And let me say again, I love what Joanna said as she was hosting this morning. She said, some of us are sitting with this, but many of us are not. So let us learn so we can give this tool to others. And let me say this, since we all live lives, there will be moments in all of our lives where these will be needed. You will need this club. Whether you have it in this season or not, remember it. So why in the world would God, a holy, loving God, who incarnated himself in Jesus Christ, who is the second... How do we use these? Well, first of all, the reason why God gave us these very difficult psalms is this. God values honesty. God values honesty. One said these psalms are good theology and good therapy all at once. In times of extremes, and hear that again, in times of extremes, in times of deep injustice, in times of deep evil, in times of deep betrayal, when the world gets darker and more sinful and it is out of control and out of order, this is when you pull out the rage songs. Now, I love what Eugene Peterson wrote reflecting on this when he said, and by the way, can everyone just just take a moment if you're getting distracted? I feel this quotation is one of the most significant ones I've read in a long time. He said, we want to be at our best before God. Prayer, we think, means presenting ourselves before God so he gets pleased with us. So in other words, it's almost like we put on our Sunday best in our prayers. So it's easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It's somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. But it is nearly impossible to be honest before God in our dark emotions of hate. So what do we do as Christians? Well, we commonly suppress them. And we suppress our negative emotions. And then he writes, unless we neurotically advertise them, different situation. And then he says, or when we choose to express these dark emotions, we think we do it far from God's God's presence or what we think God's presence is. Because we're ashamed and embarrassed to be seen wearing these curse-stained overalls. But when we pray the Psalms in totality, the classic prayers of God's people, we find out that this segregation will not do. We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. Can I say that again? We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we actually should be. In prayer, prayer is not all sweetness and light. The way of prayer is not to cover over our unholy emotions so that we appear before God somewhat like respectable, but we actually expose them so God can enlist them into the work of the kingdom. This, he writes, is actually an act, profound, an act of profound faith when you choose to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously by our Father. Hate Prayed takes our lives to the bedrock where the foundations of justice are being laid.
So the first reason why we have these is because God is opening a door for a level of authenticity. Most of us sitting in this room and you watching or listening online, wherever you might be, train, plane, wherever. We don't think God would ever want this prayer. He does and he wants it so much. He enshrined it in his holy, perfect word. Authentic, honest Followers of God. This church continually fights to produce authentic disciples. And part of authentic discipleship is facing pain and injustice right in the face. Remember I've taught we don't go above this and we don't live underneath it. We walk right through it and we do it with God. And God gives us the vocabulary at the darkest moments in our life where true injustice has taken place. Honesty. Honesty. Before a God who is looking. Remember the first sin of Adam and Eve. What did they do when they sinned? They what? Hid. There is no room for hiddenness of any form in our movement. Including with this. This gives us opportunity to express this way our hate. Not this way. Here's the second thing. And by the way, now this is, you've got to get your thinking caps on. Because this next thing I'm about to speak on is so Huge. Not only are these psalms given to us for an authentic, honest moment with God. Here's the second point. When you pray them out, and when you yell them out or cry them out, and when you're done, then, because you are a Christian, you remember the cross. Because here's what we all need to realize, and let me walk this through. We once were enemies of God too, right? No, no, hold on. Yes or no? Okay, Colossians 1.21. Once, every one of us in this room was alienated from God, and we were not just sick, not just sort of having a bad day. We were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Every single person who has not met the living God, who's living in rebellion, and has not met Christ, is considered an enemy of God. Not that God hates them, but because they are living against him. Now, this is not hyperbole or exaggeration. We all were in this condition, and yet... God in his love sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus, our substitute, did not, everyone ready, listening, did not cancel the wrath of God. He absorbed it, and he diverts it from every one of us to himself. See, God's wrath against his enemies is just. It's already been spent, not withdrawn. Remember one of the greatest love statements in the New Testament is 1 John 4.10. And this is love, according to Christianity. Not that we love God, why? We were enemies, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a wrath-absorbing propitiation for our sins. You say, well, John, why are you saying this? I'm confused. Let me tell you why. This is how Christians get to take rage psalms and pray them up and also pray for their enemies and love them all at the same time. See, here's the great truth about our movement. Justice is always accomplished. As Christians, we know that either our enemies that we have raged to God about will either become our brother and sister in Jesus and experience his grace and mercy and they'll be forgiven and all the stuff they did against us is where now? On Jesus and all the wrath of God that it was deserved on them is on Jesus. So Jesus took the bullet for them and he took the justice issue. Or in the end, if they choose not to follow Jesus, they won't get away with injustice. No one gets away with injustice. 
There is not one person, one government, one political system, one military, one religious agency, one church, one family member that will get away with anything. There are no secrets. There is no way to hide from, buy off, con, or run from God. For in the end, when Jesus comes back, there will be a great reckoning and all the rage psalms will either be forgiven through the work of Christ or will be placed on the heads of those who chose not to be forgiven. Revelation 20 says, in that great time, and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. See, here's the beautiful thing. When we cry these psalms out, with everything in us, We need to and we must, but we only must do it towards God. And as we do that, and we know that justice will be accomplished either by Christ or by the judgment day in the end, then as Christians, we get to look sideways and leave room for God's mercy and wrath. Don't you find it striking that Saul, who later became Paul, probably was one of the people that Christians read rage psalms about? And Saul, who hated us, imprisoned us, was at the murder of the very first one of us, suddenly meets Jesus and becomes our brother and sister. Do you remember the conversation between Ananias and Jesus? I want you to go pray for Saul. He's like, you're joking me. This guy is, he's like, no, I've chosen him. But in moments later, when he writes the book of Romans, here's what Paul says about wrath and vengeance and prayer. He says in Romans 12, 14, you bless those who persecute you. You bless and do not curse. In other words, you can rage up this way, but you never touch them this way. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reason and how you do this is you rage this way. And by doing that, you prevent yourself from ever, ever, ever cursing your enemy and touching them inappropriately. These psalms become our honest cries to God. They're actually expressions of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as they are in heaven. I want justice and I know your reign and rule says no to what's going on. They become places of honesty. They, come, they become the place like a release valve. They become the place of holy venting. They allow us to be heard and we know that God is taking our pain very seriously. They allow us to speak our mind and unbottle our rage. And at that moment as we are doing it, it then begins to create the environment to leave room for God to deal with those that oppose us and oppose him and bless them. And in the middle after we rage, also say, now Lord, make them my brother or sister. Weirdly, strangely, unearthly, we as Christians are allowed to rage and forgive all in one breath and bless our enemies. Authentic faith has been missing for so long in so many churches. 
There is always, I say when I teach on other topics, huge underground rivers that exist in churches of experiences and emotions. And if they're never legitimized by the pulpit or by leadership, they continue to grow underneath and never get addressed. Well, let me say this. We're addressing it right now. You are called to be honest before God and not pretend what you think you should be before His holy presence. You come boldly as you are to be changed. We are called to vent these and we are also called to leave room for God's wrath and forgive our enemies and bless them all at once. But there's one last thing I want to mention. As you read these psalms and they make you uncomfortable, there is one place you can pray these psalms very clearly without any consternation. And it's this. Against Satan. Many, many times when you begin to really listen to what the scriptures teach, when you really begin to take 2 Corinthians 4.4 seriously, for real, that the God of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see our precious Lord or His gospel. When you read Ephesians 6, and you don't just write it off as a moment, but true, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When you really begin to see the unholy work of these things in society, in institutions, in philosophies, and in personal lives, these psalms become a great place to pray to God, since he's overcome them, to take them out. Many times in my devotional life, I have turned to these psalms when I have seen the destruction of Satan in my family, when I have fought for this church as one of your pastors, praying that God would set us free or this region. I've begun to say, since the evil one is beyond redemption, those, Lord, these, these psalms, I pray back to you regularly. Take them out. So in this time, not just in the future, in this time, thousands can find freedom in Jesus. The rage psalms are given to us for authenticity. They're given to us to teach us humility. They're given to us so we never take revenge inappropriately. They're given to us so we can bless our enemies and curse them all in an experience. And also, they're given to us so we can commit spiritual warfare and see people free. This is how precious our God is. That he would give us even this language we didn't expect him to give us. Just take a moment of silence before we move to a time of reflection and prayer. Have you ever taken a moment to thank God he gave you these two? Probably not. It would be a good time to say, Lord, thanks even for these. A few prayers. Some of us This is our vocabulary right now. And God has brought you to this service so you would be able to do this holy and right. Some of us have realized our anger has actually been sinful and we've not done it right. So take a moment and just say, Lord, forgive me if I in my cry for justice or my anger have actually sinned. And I'm just going to pray this. Father and Son... We are praying for a continued move of God that is unnatural. And so even in this part we ask, so Lord, Holy Spirit, lead people to use these right. Lead us, Lord, to use this right. Give people opportunity to vent 
and even bless enemies, to speak to heaven and to bless earth. Lord, lead us very appropriately with these difficult words. Thank you that you love us, you're for us. And we end with this note. Thank you that we were your enemies and actually you chose to save us anyway. Lord, continue to do this. We pray this in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.